Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 170. This week, we talk with Rachel Neighbors about all things animation, and she comes bearing discount codes. CCleaner is infected. Machine learning in the browser. And Edge comes to iOS and Android. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Rachel Neighbors, author of Animation at Work, and she advocates for the future of interaction design at Microsoft. Welcome, Rachel. Hey, great to be here today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? Uh, this week, the comment of the week gets a developer small business license for Aspose.total for .NET, which includes all of the Aspose.NET products in one package. And this week on Twitter, Eric Olson uh, talked to us saying, after listening to Danny D. Warren on the MS Dev Show podcast, quote, don't lie to my grandma, unquote, is now one of my new design criteria. Uh, that was from our That Conference podcast. And that was actually a really uh, a fun part of that episode is when he was talking about how uh, websites lie to us and especially to his grandma. Yeah, I don't remember. He actually had like, – it was like a concrete example with his grandma. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but it was it was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so if you don't remember it, go back and listen to it. Yeah. Um, and if you want to get mentioned on the show and win a license uh, just like Eric did, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. We really like those five-star iTunes reviews as well. Yep. And we're kicking off something special. I was talking to Raygun and I said, hey, how can we go big and do something really cool for our listeners? So what are we doing, Carl? So a lot of us have been at work, uh, been doing something open source, and have been saying like, WTF, what the heck is going on here? Uh, so what is the biggest programming fail that you've ever seen? Uh, if you think you have something that's uh, a really good story or a WTF moment, send us an email uh, at feedback at msdevshow.com. Uh, they're actually giving away several things here. So you have a few chances to win. So the mm -hmm. the the number one thing that you could win is a free year startup plan of Raygun Crash Reporting. Uh, Jason and I got this uh, on our accounts. And I will say Raygun is awesome to work with. Um, it, they say it takes less than 10 minutes to, to get up and going with it, but they lie. It doesn't even take that long. <laughs> uh, with the documentation they have, you just tell them what kind of project you're working with. It doesn't matter the language. You could be, they got Rust and Go and PHP, JavaScript. I mean, even like UWP. And in a lot of these cases, it's one or two lines of code. You copy and paste. They even put in your little code for you that you need for your identity. And bam, you put that in your code and you're up and going. Mm -hmm. Recompile. Maybe yep. if you take you longer than five minutes, maybe it takes 10 minutes to compile. I don't know. Okay. But you can immediately be getting those issues back. I was surprised how quickly it was. Not only that, but it got integrations to Slack. So when I hit an error, um, it, um, it doesn't just spam Slack either. Like I, if I have this in a loop or it's going on and on, they smartly give you these things like, hey, you only need to know about this once. Uh, but you see what's really going on in your application. So 
if you are the number one winner, you will win that. But we have a few uh, runner-up prizes as well. They have some swag packs that they're going to give that include t-shirts and a few other freebies they haven't told us about yet. So uh, we have a prize for the winner uh, of the Ray Gun Crash Reporting for a year and three swag packs to give away. So hit us up at feedback at msdevshow.com. Yeah, I can't wait to hear those. And right when you mentioned that, I saw Rachel smiled. So what's on your mind, Rachel? <laughs> Nothing. You didn't have you, oh, you did something you can't talk about. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh so we'll we'll wait for her anonymous entry. Uh you can't win a prize though if it's anonymous. Uh okay, what do we have up next? Uh news. So what do we have in here? Vast distributes malware. This was really yes. bad. So I, I I know at least back in the day I used to use like CCleaner a lot of times. Yeah, me you know, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. for your like registry, it cleaned up like all that weird stuff. Like when not just your downloads folder, but just like wherever applications decide to spew things. Mm-hmm. CCleaner was great. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really used that in a while, and I'm actually kind of glad because in the official canonical place to go to get CCleaner, they got uh, some malware injected in it. Yeah. And it was still signed and it was still, I mean, it was totally legit. Yeah. Um, The second I heard this, I went and uninstalled it, which of course, if you have the malware, like does not remove it. Uh, But basically if you, um, if you had updated, I think, you know, to the, to the specific version that they're talking about here, you would be effective. Um, Basically the fact that they were breached means that I can never trust that again. Um, If you are infected with this malware and I I couldn't quite figure out, like if there's a certain reg key you can look for or how you actually figure out if you're infected, I mean, run, run some different, uh, (laughs) I was going to say cleaners, some different (laughs) malware detection applications on your computer to look for this thing. Um, If you are infected, I mean, you basically have to reinstall windows and, and start over. Um, this is bad because otherwise you can just never trust that system again. Um, so this is so, just a hor- this was just horrible. This is a horrible yeah. way to get this. Yeah. yeah. Luckily for me, I have this really ancient computer that I let my kids use. I mean, I think I got this with Vista on it originally and uh, I had CCleaner on it and I went to go check after I heard this because I knew it was on there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I logged in, it's like, oh, this was last updated in 2014. Would you like to update? I'm like, <laughs> nope. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So you still running this, Rachel? Hopefully not. No, I am not. However, there are all kinds of new access points for uh, for for malware on computers. It's funny, but I think like the number one target for malware is the thing you get to protect yourself from malware. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chrome has this notorious uh, adblock plugin that advertises itself as adblock plus something or other. And it, it's actually just spyware. <laughs> Yeah, but and, and, it can't. It pretends to be the thing people are looking for. Right. Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Um. Okay, so let's move on. What do we got next here? Uh, teachablemachine.withgoogle.com. This is something I was playing around with yesterday. This is really cool. Explain it, Carl. Yeah, and I was actually really disappointed you already had this in here because I wanted to be able to uh, say, Jason, don't go do this live, uh, because it's it's a lot of fun. It's really. Oh, you mean you wanted me to go do it live? No, I didn't want you to do oh. it live because there's a little tutorial it takes you through. Okay. But what this is, is it's machine learning in your browser. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you do is you it goes you through the process of training a model and having it react. So it'll, like I uh, alluded to, that there's this little uh, walkthrough process that it has where it tells you, like, 
here's a spot where we're going to train the first item and it tells you to raise your hand and take a bunch of hold down the button so it takes a bunch of uh, pictures of you with your webcam to train the model what it looks like when you raise your hand and then whenever it detects that you're raising your hand it We'll put like a different picture up there, like a cat waving at you. And then uh, Jason's doing this right now for people on video. <laughs> I just wanted to do it again. <laughs> yeah. And it has you train something else. Um, and then when that detects that you're doing something else, they'll put a different picture up. And they also have stuff on there like sounds and other th- items it can trigger on. So that way, when it, you lift your arm, you can actually see the website changes because the machine learning is detecting that you're raising your hand versus not. Yeah. So it's it's really cool because it also teaches you like the more uh, valid inputs that you're training with, the better job that the machine learning tool will do when it's uh, detecting what it should or shouldn't be responding to. Mm-hmm. So uh, while this isn't something you're going to productionalize and uh, you know shove into your own products, it is really cool for understanding these concepts of machine learning, which are only getting more and more persuasive considering that Microsoft and Google and Apple, pretty much every event they have, just say AI and ML are the way forward and we're doing the best job at it. Mm-hmm. Right. This, this is a nice little intro so you really understand what they're talking about there. And I, I love ex- interactive explainers like this. Mm-hmm. Just imagine getting a kid in front of this. You might actually um, spark their interest in taking off into machine learning. Yeah, exactly. And I think what this what it quickly teaches you as well is, you know, you hold down the button and it's like taking photos for the training set. I mean, if you just sit there and don't move, I mean, it just starts to to make you realize that, that you know, you always think like with machine learning or maybe you don't always think this, but it seems like, you know, you want as big of a data set as possible. Uh, but David Crook, who we had on the on the show before, he made the point that you want varying inputs. You know, you want to teach it all the different scenarios so that it can learn actually how to distinguish. And that is far more important than just having more data. It's not the, it's the quality, not the quantity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen this with this as well. Like if I don't move and I, I try just like smiling and, and doing it a couple of different ways. Um, and then I, if I move like in, in the, the real world to actually test it, all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I don't know. And it's actually classifying everything incorrectly. So, you know, you want to move around the screen. You want to be like in different positions, different distances away from the camera. Um, and then you, opposite hands. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then it will actually be trained well and it will work much better. Yeah. And one of the first things I tried doing is just trying to tell the difference between me with a big wide smile and one with my tongue out and not realizing that when I was training with a big wide smile, it could see my tongue. Mm-hmm. So that was oh. probably two bad things to have it try to train off of. Yep. Uh, okay. So this next story, I really don't want to linger on it, uh, <laughs> but Windows finally- but We will. Yeah. Or, sorry. Microsoft finally admits Windows phone is dead. Um, I'm so, sure everybody saw this in the news, so- so, so first of all, I'd really love to clarify. So I'll, I'll read it first. There was a tweet from Joe Belfiore that said, of course, we'll continue to support the platform, bug fixes, security updates, etc. But building new features and hardware aren't the focus. So for me, uh, what, what I took that as is this is the same thing that the senior leadership team and all the executives at Microsoft has been saying for the past two years. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has been saying that Windows Phone is dead for over two years, but yet this is the first time it's really clicked with everybody. I think people just didn't want to admit it before, and I don't think it really helped that companies like HP, uh, after Microsoft said it's dead, came out with new hardware and said, hey, check it out. <laughs> but um, uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, you know, I was uh, 
uh, an avid fan of Windows Phone, and I, I even talked Jason into getting it, a Windows Phone at one time, which mm-hmm. he ridiculed me for a long time. Until I had the 1020, and then I had the 1520. And, you went uh, back for seconds. Yeah. And, and in addition, I was, awesome. I was also a Windows Phone MVP at one time. So, you know, I, I did really enjoy the platform, but I also was saw the handwriting on the wall and got off the platform over two years ago mm-hmm. because, you know, we could see it back then. So if you are one of those holding out for new stuff, well, uh, all three of us work for Microsoft. We do not have any inside knowledge, but um, I think Microsoft has said plenty externally to say, hey, if you really want to, there's you can grab whatever's hanging out there. But if you want the best that Microsoft can give mobile, they're doing it on other platforms. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but I'm happy that, uh, that I when I'm using a different platform that I can still use all my Microsoft apps. So I'm happy about that. Okay, last story. Uh, announcing Microsoft Edge for iOS and yeah, actually this this kind of fits right into that in Android. Uh, and I don't know what what is the Microsoft launcher portion of it. That 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 that's for uh, Android. Android. So uh, the biggest thing is getting Edge on other platforms. So initially, this is just literally the browser working as a standalone browser. But very quickly, they're going to be updating this to add support for synchronizing bookmarks and passwords and so on and so forth. So as that comes forward, uh, this is going to be a lot more interesting. Um, One of the things to note is on these different platforms, they're actually using the browser engines native to the platform. So you're going to be using uh, WebKit on uh, iOS and uh, Blink on Android. Uh, In addition... Uh, the Microsoft launcher is a new um, launcher for the Android platform. And I know Jason doesn't really know what launchers are because he's stuck in iOS, but that's where you I the, only know what Apple the, tells me <laughs> that that's the application that where you essentially can, uh, when you're looking at the screen that has all of your apps and drawers and oh, okay, widgets okay. and stuff like that. Um, so that's obviously tailored for Microsoft to have all those Microsoft services built into that launcher. So if you're into those Microsoft uh, uh, things, you can either download the launcher now. Uh, iOS, unfortunately, the it's closed because Apple limits betas to 10,000 people. But the Android one is open, and I don't think there's a cap on it. So you can go check out the show notes, click on the link, and you can sign up for the uh, Android one. You will have to sign up to get a link in your email. Okay. So you don't have a call? I have it running on iOS. So oh, okay. I was one of the people that got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, me too. Okay. <laughs> you guys you guys are, are taking away from the 10,000, huh? <laughs> so do you guys like it's it? It's important. It we good? help test too. Yeah, it's really nice. It, I mean, it's, it's very quick. And they do uh, some subtle things that are just a lot more usable for me. I really like that some of the uh, items that you're going to interact with a lot more are on the bottom close to my thumb. Instead of being up top where they are on a lot of the other uh, platforms. So that's some of the things that I like. Okay. What do you think, Rachel? I, I really like the idea of being able to take your favorites from platform to platform. Mm-hmm. I think it was a, a very smart move to release mobile versions of this browser. I mean, Firefox is doing it. Uh, Chrome is doing it. Like Edge should be in there and doing this as well. Yeah. It create it, it completes that circle of life for people who love a particular browser. Uh only we could get it onto onto macbooks too yeah exactly no that's such a great point i mean it's just it's just key like it has to be where i want it so yeah Yeah. great point great point so let's talk about your book 
which is awesome. Uh, <laughs> so oh, I guess, let's so, talk about me. <laughs> so, uh, so what is, I, I guess we'll just kind of start with the basic, like, what is your book about? Just tell, tell us what the, what the idea was, maybe what the inspiration was. Oh, thanks. So, uh, like, you know, it's funny when you put me on the, on the spot like that I get all nervous <laughs> and shy. Uh, so I basically spent the past, uh, five years wandering in the wilderness, studying animation and interaction design and, uh, how to apply it to the web. Flash had just died. Uh, people were just building non-interactive text documents for the web. Everything was about typography and layout, but there are these sneaky little things called CSS animations and transitions that the WebKit team at Apple had put into the uh, put into the W3C spec process that everybody was uh, not paying much attention to, and I fell in love with them and ended up taking off on a, a long, deep dive studying how to use animations to create better user experiences and products. I mean, why do we? Like, ask yourself, when you're using your phone, why do you expect animations? You don't even realize they're there when you're interacting with it. And then when you're on your desktop computer and you're clicking around on the internet, you don't. Why is that? And could that come to bite us in the butt one day for people who develop for desktop or non-touch small screen interactions? And it turns out there's a lot that these animations can give to app-like experiences uh, on the web and in native development as well. Yeah, that's such a good point because using your phone and like, you know, especially in like iOS 11, like I noticed right away that a lot of things are sort of like doing like the zoom effect and the way that things move around <laughs> sort of mimics the physical world in, in, in kind of a way. And then I love the contrast that you make with the web because it's like, here's a page and then you click and it's like, okay, just, just wait. You know, it's kind of like on the, the Kindle. I don't know if you've ever seen like the e-ink display where you go to the next yep. page and it's like page wipe redraw. <laughs> and, you know, thank you for bringing up the Kindle. One of the yeah. first things I did when I was like, I'm going to strike out on my own and do my own thing for five years was I teamed up with this Russian cartoonist who was doing this interactive graphic novel and she was doing the whole thing in Flash. And I was like, sweetie, Flash is dead. I can't look at this <laughs> on an iPad or an iPhone. Let's talk about remaking this with HTML5 and CSS3. And I, I was actually, because at that time, Kindle had kind of gotten to this point where they were like, let's make it Kindle Fire specifically. Okay. They were like, let's make it so people can just send us a zip file of CSS, HTML and, and JavaScript, and they can sell that in our store. You know, that, hey, you can do that with Microsoft's uh, Windows Store as well now. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought this is a great way to sell uh, an interactive graphic novel to an, a large audience. And I remember working on it because it's a very dark graphic novel that she made. It's kind of like Birthday Massacre meets uh, uh, Wizard of Oz. And everything is on a black background. And I was tapping around and, and getting it. And there would be these white flashes. I remember it was like 3 a.m. and I'm bug hunting. And I tapped to the next page. And there was this huge flash of white lit up the entire room. And then the next black page came in. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, that's a problem. That's yeah. a real problem. <laughs> it wasn't, it, there was just so many graphic assets and the device wasn't that powerful. So it took a split second to repaint the page. And that split second was just enough to be incredibly jarring. You know, I, I had to move on to use Ajax to load things ahead of time and make more of a, an experience like what you'd expect to get from using something like React. And it really drove home on touch devices and on small screens, people do not expect page wipes. They do not expect like 
to wait a minute and or, or even 50 milliseconds. And then the thing appears, just jumps into position. And that's when I really started uh, paying attention to how how native like iOS and Android developers were using animations in their designs. And for a long time, I got to tell you, iOS developers definitely had the advantage over uh, Android developers. And I'm not sure if that was just because they had better uh, tooling. Uh, Apple's core animations features, uh, they've been developing them for years. Mm -hmm. It was like, I want to know, were they thinking ahead that, oh my gosh, we need to... uh, we need to get these animations into place because one day we're going to have touch devices and they will need to have animations or they won't work at all. Or was it just, you know, we believe in great design, animation is part of great design. I can't tell if that was calculated or a happy accident, but it made a huge difference when it came to iPhone's uh, mobile strategy because it's not like touch screens hadn't been done before. You know, they've been done with little styluses, but when the iPhone came out, uh, it was the first one that had animations coupled with user input so tightly. So that mm-hmm. whole developer group, uh, their designs just had more sophisticated animations than what was hitting the Android market for a long time. And that's been changing. Um, I know that a lot of things have been changing. Many operating systems, including Windows, have doubled down on their animation support. UI animations coming out. It's a uh, it, it's wonderful to see these sophisticated animations working their way into every touch experience. It just, when you're designing with them, you can, like you said, create that real world, uh, I call it an active skeuomorphism, skeuomorphism mm-hmm. being uh, yeah. an imitation of reality. And when you bring that to the screen, it makes it feel like that interaction is a part of that person's world. Mm-hmm. Raygun gives you... Hold on, scrap that. You've heard this ad way too much. Raygun is giving us an awesome chance to give away a free year's startup plan of Raygun crash reporting. In addition, three runners-up will win swag packs that include t-shirts and other freebies. You definitely want some of that. What do you have to do? That's a simple thing. Just let us know. What's the biggest programming fail you've ever seen? What's the nastiest bug you've ever caught? Let us know. Email us at feedback at msdevshow.com. Contest ends at the end of November. Hurry up and get it in now. Being somebody who's done both native and web development, you know, I look at when I'm doing native development, there's a lot of stuff I get out of the box in this regard. Like if I'm if I'm using like a list view or something, there's certain animations when I touch it, like it'll it'll bump up slightly. And um, like on Fluent Design, I might get uh, that like the little reveal highlight that goes when my mouse goes by. A lot of those come for free when we're doing native development, but it's at least when I left web development, I haven't done it in a little bit, that you, if you wanted that, you had to roll it yourself. Is there anything there that can help us a little bit more nowadays to get that stuff that's native people get for free? I just want to give a shout out to Fluent Design here. I uh, One of my favorite things about uh, recently joining Microsoft has been that I've been able to watch Fluent Design really take off internally and externally. And I got to say, I'm just so pumped. It it's it's beautiful. I'm excited for the interactions that this is gonna gonna give developers at their fingertips. It's just I can't wait to see what the future of design looks like on Windows devices. Um, that said, uh, on the web, you don't get any of that. On the web, you got to make it all from scratch. You you get like you can define how you want something to look, but you're not getting anything for free. You're not getting any. Like, does anyone remember jQuery back in the mm-hmm. day? jQuery UI, jQuery animation. I thought it was like, jQuery for life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I actually really love jQuery. I mean, like that was the intro drug for a lot of designers to becoming front end developers. Yep. And people can be as snooty as they want, but it served a purpose and it created a great community. So, I mean, some people still get grumpy, you know, it's like, why are you using jQuery? You should be able to do vanilla JavaScript by hand. And yeah, yeah. but but we needed jQuery. There was a time when that was a massive effort that got all yeah. browsers to come together and like, you know, sync up on JavaScript standards. And it allowed people to build websites that worked. It also allowed them to yeah. animate things, even though the animations weren't very performant. But it came with like slide up, slide down, toggle, yeah, et cetera. Exactly. And we don't really have slide up and slide down uh, out of the box with CSS uh, animations or even with JavaScript animations. So you could define them yourself. And if you are really good with CSS or even moderately good with CSS or JavaScript, that's not too difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for people who are like, "Uh, I don't know, I just want to spin something up from scratch. There are a couple, I mean, not from scratch, but, you know, get a framework, et cetera. There are a couple of frameworks that you can use. Anime.js, uh, there's like animate.css. There are some libraries. My only concerns with the libraries is that they tend to give you a big old pile of rules and you might use maybe one or two of them and not really think about how you're using them or why they're using them. Uh, I go into that a lot in my book, you know, like when is a good time to use an animation? Uh, how do you want to think about animations in your brand? Like if you have a a banking site, you might not want stuff to be bouncing across the page. Uh, you might want something a little bit more <clears throat> straight laced and, and, you know, square faced, totally deadpan, but, you know, just gently transition people from bank account to bank account, as opposed to bouncing them there. Mm-hmm. So there are some libraries. I don't have any that I would recommend off the top of my head simply because I don't use them. I'm a I'm a person who likes to do things from scratch and make them custom to the experience I'm working in. Fortunately, it's not too hard to learn how to do CSS animations and transitions. And there's some excellent starting points all over the web. Um, my colleague Karupa, he just did a book, Web Animations with O'Reilly, and I, I highly recommend it. Or I have a course on my site. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, you were talking about um, the iOS animation experience, and I was just thinking about, you know, we, we probably notice this. Well, I know you do <laughs> uh, notice this way more than like the average person. Right. So, um, one thing I noticed like switching, whenever I switch from windows phone to, to iPhone, uh, like I launched the, the Twitter app and it would do this thing where like, there's like, I don't know if it like, it like pulsates, but there's like the, the Twitter logo. And then it goes like, boom. And yeah, it first hits th- you in the face. Yeah. It's just like, boom. <laughs> and uh, you know, like every time I see it, I'm just like, Whoa, that's so cool. And I totally forget <laughs> about the weight. Whereas if you open it on the web it's just like you know especially if, if you're in a low bandwidth situation it's like here's white page and then the other one that really stands out of my mind is uh is facebook and i know a lot of people have copied this where uh. where you you open it and it's just like here are your posts but it's not actually your post they have like these post looking th- graphics on the back and then they even animated it every time it opens up i'm just mesmerized i'm like ooh, oh they're oh. sort of like yeah. uh loading spinners that give you an idea of what the content will be exactly and it's super Uh, clever like it just it just makes you feel good (laughs) everyone has been copying the style in interaction design lately and you know the whole what you just described those two experiences those are masks for load times those are masking assets being loaded in uh it's really hard to do that that facebook um sorry the twitter uh 
<laughs> you know, the way explosion. the way you talked about it, I, I don't know if anyone remembers, but there was this video going around the internet of someone interacting with it and, you know, like shows them on their phone, it shows it loading, and then it actually backs up and it shows like a big cardboard Twitter logo hitting them in the face from their phone. <laughs> it's hilarious. I think it was on Vine, so it's probably like dumped in a scrapyard of, of data awesome. somewhere. We'll see if it but does hopefully it here. Oh, here we go. Is it doing it? Here we go. Oh my gosh. Here we go. And <laughs> For anybody watching the video version, you just got you just got hit in the face with Twitter. <laughs> but that's something that the native apps do really well, which is there is a placeholder page that mm-hmm. masks uh the loading of the actual content. And on the web, why well, your your browser doesn't know what's there. It doesn't mm-hmm. know anything. It's it's just visited there. Um so there are a couple of techniques to mitigate that. We've got progressive web apps, which you would only have to go through that experience once before you could save it to your your computer, and then it would be as quick to uh, access that information as though you know it were a native app because you would have a copy of it locally. Uh, that's really exciting. But the other thing uh, that you could do, uh, there there are mitigation techniques one can use where you can. You can have a process in your pipeline to check to see what CSS and HTML is required to get that that first load experience perfectly running. And you can embed that at the very top of your document so it loads up and and goes quicker. So that that little flash of white is as minimal as possible before you're shown a little bit of placeholder. Hmm. But yeah, both of these techniques, these fun little waiting animations that kind of let you feel like the system is responding to you, but uh, it's just kind of like, hold up there. We're going to be with you in just a minute. You can expect content like so. They're really popular right now, and they've done a lot to keep users engaged and feeling like the system is responding to them, even if technically it's in a loading state. Yeah, they're they're pretty effective. Yeah, so... In addition to like this covering for maybe some performance issues, what what should we be what else should we be using animations for, and when should we be applying them? Great question. I have an entire chapter about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but tell you what, because you all are so everybody, awesome. everybody should pause and go order the book. <laughs> Open to page eighty four. <laughs> a bookapart.com. Uh no, actually, yeah, I'll just go over some of them right now because you all are awesome. So one thing I've noticed from working with people with animations is that most most different companies and people who work with like motion designers, they will group animations into different into different piles based on, you know, their different needs. I have grouped them into a set of piles. So these are not like the word of God here, but these are what I have noticed. These are the bottlenecks where I have I have categorized different kinds of animations that will uh, take care of these different issues. And one of them is uh, transitions. Like when a person is going from uh, one state or location to another, the Fidelity app on my iPhone is a really good example of this compared to their website, mm-hmm. which is basically like a... That's the well, banking site you were talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, here's a gigantic spreadsheet, and we're just going to put exactly. a loading spinner on it when you go from account to account. That's not very useful. Thanks. Yeah. Loading spinners are nice, but they don't tell you much about where you come from and where you're going. Uh, if you want to help people go from state to state, see where they're coming from, what's available to them next, uh, a transition, moving them from page to page works really well. I feel like the Fidelity app is an example where the mobile team was able to run a lot faster because they didn't have as much burden as uh, as the other team that built their website. 
and they were able to experiment and do things for, you know, like, here's how you look at the different kinds of, when you go from tab to tab, there's actually like a motion of the data going from side to side in the direction of the tab that you've moved to or moved from. So it reinforces where that data is. So you know how to get back to it. Sort of like when, uh, when you're on your iPhone and you tap an icon, it zooms into that icon, it reinforces where that icon is located on that screen. I found that really useful when iOS 7 came out because previously I kept forgetting where my, my different apps was. Every time I saw that animation reinforced where that app was living in my, uh, in my mental model. So stateful transitions do a great job of reinforcing kind of spatial, spatial recognition. Uh, you can also, whenever you're bringing content on or off the page, like uh, tooltips are an example of this. You hover over something and then there's a little mini explanation next to it underneath your cursor. Well, you won't feel find that in a touch experience, but desktop has that. You know, if there's a pointer device, go for it. And actually, VR probably has this as well uh, when you hover your gaze over something. Now, instead of just being like, boop, here's some information, cut onto the page, you could fade it in or jump it in from the side, et cetera, on a, a site I did, devtoolschallenger.com. Uh, you can actually, as you scroll down, you can hover over the different icons that appear on the side. It's kind of like a little chain of events and a little tooltip will slide out from the side to tell you which section that was pointing to. It's a very common, uh, a common pattern, but it looks so much better with a little animation on it because that extra animation draws attention to the fact that new content has been added to the screen. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I was just oh, looking, you have some cool examples in the book, like Nike SB dunk page fluvog.com oh yeah favorite shoe site ever i love fluvog uh, so fluvog does this uh Ooh, this transitions oh <laughs> <laughs> i get distracted yeah, continue <laughs> when you go searching for something when you go up to that search bar you start yeah. search searching the rest of the page turns blue and it's like, you are just searching now, but you're still on the page. Like if you say that, ah, I don't want to search and you hit X or escape, you go right back to where you were. It's not like you navigated to a search page and now you are searching. Yeah. But that blue space fills up with content as you start typing. Uh, and it's a nice way of having this, like you're taken to a different modality, a different a case, a different way of using the site, but you're not taken away from your previous task. It allows you to sort of back up your, your it's like hitting back on your own interaction without having to use the browser's back button. And it gives it gives users really nice secure feeling as well because they don't feel like they risk losing their their time investment. So I mean a big part of the book then is you know the, these things are are you know for me as the casual user I sort of notice some of them maybe not all of them most most users probably just don't notice these things they just have a better experience. Um, so what I love is that, you know, you're like, you call these things out, you classify it, and then you're helping everybody, um, you know, use these to your advantage, obviously. Exactly. And actually, um, rather than go into every one of them here, and this whole chapter is available at alistapart.com. Yeah, I have uh, it up on my screen right now. <laughs> sweet. We should totally link to this in the show notes so that people can go and dive super deep on these. So, you know, I, I just want to go back a little bit because we were talking about, you know, ways to apply these animations and stuff. But one of the things that 
kind of annoys me is when you have this helpful animation that when you couple it in a slightly different way, it turns into an animation that gets annoying. Oh, in, partic- oh, oh, oh. In, in particular, you brought up how you can tap on an icon on iOS and it kind of does that little zoom into it. But I have I have the plus and I use it one handed a lot. So I do that little gesture where you bring the screen down. Uh-huh. And when you tap on an app to open it, it does shifts the whole screen up and then does the animation. So if I do that, it takes me longer to an open an app because it's doing an extra animation to shift the screen up before it zooms in. So, Wait, show me this on the screen. I got to see this. So I shift it down and I'll tap on. Hopefully it's going oh, yeah. to have any. Yeah, Why did it. you shift it down? Why is it even doing that? So I shift it down because I'm using it one handed. Apple and that, that way feature. I can reach it. So I, oh my God, that's I why can't, it does yeah, that? Yeah, if you double that's tap the button. If yeah. you double tap that, which is a nice accessibility feature. But when I do that, it takes me, who's somebody who needs that accessibility feature for whatever reason, and it makes it a worse experience because I know it's now taking me longer to get into that app than anybody else. Carl has tiny thumbs. Well, I as a person who... I, I use the mantis method of uh, uh, I use the mantis <laughs> method when it comes to to typing. Uh, my husband makes fun of me for this what, forever. What is the mantis? You just like you, you after like, you use it, you eat it. No, no, no. <laughs> you hold it with your thumb, and you hold it with your thumb and your middle finger, and you type with your index fingers. And it works. It I use that all the time. At least Often back when I had a smaller phone. phone. <laughs> I, I used to drop it on my face in I bed quite a lot. That hurt. Way. There we go. I got That's because you have, maybe it's yeah, harder. You must with not the plus. have a plus. <laughs> uh, I got the plus and now I oh. can't do that. Okay. And I am that very much like, <laughs> need to go get the smaller one. Need to yeah. go get the smaller one. But get, I wanted the fancy are camera. Are you going to get the 10 or the X or? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Um, I love the camera, but it's like this form factor, seriously. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, that is a great example. Getting back to, yeah. uh, getting back to that, that, uh, that, that main example that you used there. Um, so (laughs) yeah, that's a good example of animations getting in the way. And another, uh, you see these a lot, like that is a great example of one that's supposed to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Somebody was trying to help you and they're making it take longer. And you're probably thinking to yourself as a developer, darn it, that took 100 milliseconds longer than it should have. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure that the average consumer thinks that way or is even aware of it. I'll be interested to see if we hear complaints uh, about this coming from like teenagers and, you know, uh, average, average consumers who don't actually also develop for platforms. But another good example, like I see this all the time with so-called delighter animations (laughs) at, so this delighters is, in quotes, right? Delighter animations. <laughs> I I used to freelance as a animations consultant, which, by the way, doesn't that's not really a job. It doesn't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> lesson learned. But uh, the the truth is, one of the number one things I get from clients would be like, "Can we add some razzle dazzle? We want to add brand and personality <laughs> and delighters." And it's like. Spark- you realize you realize animations aren't going to make your experience delightful for your users, right? It's how you use them. They are a part well, of a delightfully fixes, balanced fixes practice. all problems. Just put yeah. some on. Great example was Clippy. Uh, Clippy, remember the little bouncing oh, paper clip and yep. bird? Yes. I used to love using the cat. And maybe it would have been less annoying if it hadn't constantly moved to get our attention when we were focusing on doing something completely unrelated it may have been better if it if if clippy had been able to anticipate 
what people actually needed better instead of just randomly being like, hey, I uh, I see you're doing something you always do. Do you need some help with that? It's, no, it's, like, it's like a real cat. Like, I see you're right. trying to work. Give me attention. Exactly. So this was a delightful experience that had a lot of animations in it that was added to to a very not delightful experience. People don't go to write documents to be delighted. They go to write documents to write documents. Um, another example, we were talking about loader screens earlier and Uber came out with this. I haven't used Uber in a long time, but I remember when they came out with this new loading screen that basically like drew the map, et cetera. And it was, it was super intense. And you know, there was a motion designer who made this and was like, this is awesome. I'm going to put this on my portfolio and everyone is going to think I'm the best person ever. Um, you know, th- this, this totally was shown in boardrooms and people thought it looked great on the screen. But here's the problem. When you actually put it on your phone, it made people think that it, the app was taking longer to load than it actually was. Mm-hmm. And part of that was because of the way it drew itself in, et cetera. A simple heartbeat or something that repeated a couple of times may have caused that perception to shift smaller. So you have to be you have to be careful. My number one guide is when you're working with over-the-top animations or animations you want to delight people, you should always be trying them in reality. You should always put them in front of actual users and listen to what those people say and think. Because just because it's animated doesn't mean it's going to be perceived as faster, doesn't mean it's going to mask load times. Sometimes it can exacerbate the the feeling of something taking forever. Uh, It doesn't mean that it's going to make it more useful, like animating that that list of tiles back into its original starting position doesn't make you feel any better. So it's important to actually look at how you're using the animations with real people and take their feedback more than anything else. I don't know. Every text message I send to Carl, I send it with lasers and he seems a lot happier <laughs> because of it. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of animations, <laughs> um, so do you have, you, do you have an iPhone or are you using Android? I have an iPhone right okay. now. So I, I don't do you know, know what happens if you send with lasers to somebody who doesn't have an iPhone? What is lasers? I thought you were talking about no, real no. lasers. No, no, no. You can, if you, if you, what, so which iPhone do you have right now? I got the, um, the last one. The seven? Eight. Yeah. Got okay. The seven so one, so type in a message to send to somebody and then, then I don't know what you want to call it. Force touch is terrible. If you push harder on the up arrow, you can send it with different visual effects. One of them oh. being lasers. So if, ah. I, if I send something to Carl, it goes like, and it'll make sound. You can send it with confetti or balloons. If you send to somebody, there you go. See, look at that. Oh man, like, I feel the, like I'm at a craft work concert. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the message that you'll receive. Unless you are not in an iPhone, in which case you will receive a second message that says sent with lasers. <laughs> because what they, what they're doing, I think is they're sending, you know, basically a second message in there all the time and the other if it's an iphone on the receiving end it interprets that and then does the animation on their side oh there okay here we go he just sent something with lasers so let me just let me display it here that it takes it seems like it takes a long time for the text to. and there's a sound yeah <laughs> Definitely a craft art concept. So yeah, just send every message with lasers and and everybody is much happier. <laughs> You're right, it just like it impedes like actually reading the message. It's pretty hilarious. Um so I'm kind of curious. So you've taken this wonderful scientific approach to identifying, you know, like the different categories of uh, categories of animations and sort of understanding them. Um so 
what is the key then for me to take all the work that you've done and actually successfully apply these animations? Like, is it, is it just a matter of me understanding the right times to use them or, or is it hopeless for me? Like I can understand them, but I can never effectively apply them. Like, what is your take on that? Man, that's such a downer thought to have. How are you like cutting yourself off the knees before you even start and running the race? Uh, Yeah, no, no, no. I'm a, so I'm a big believer that anybody can learn anything. Uh, even if you're like, I am a terrible designer. It's like, tell you what, I'll send you to design school for five years. You'll be a great designer. Yeah. Uh, it's not that you're a terrible designer. It's that you did not, you are not motivated to become a good designer uh, or a good enough designer even. Uh, this book is, it was designed to make it so that anyone who reads it can apply animations with purpose in their project so that they, they actually make something better than they would have had without them. It's, it's not the be all and end all. I expect other people will come along and write the be all and end all tome of animation in another five years. And good luck to them. I am so happy that they get to, that they get to build off of this. But for right now, for right now, this is the little book that you can read in one flight that will get it, get you into a working space with your animations. Now that said, I do think that after reading this, any developer will be able to have a conversation with designers about about animation, about how to what what they need from designers to recreate animations. You know, durations, easing functions, etc. Uh, whether those deliverables should be storyboards, prototypes. Those are also really important conversations. And how do you document the animations if you don't have a design system? Where is all all the documentation for this decision making going to live? It's one of the problems we know code bloat. Uh, you know, y'all have like 1300 different values for the same blue in your CSS. You don't want that to happen with your animations either. So anyway, I think anyone can do it. I don't think that there's anything stopping, uh, stopping us from implementing animations or, or being able to have intelligent conversations around them. Uh, but if you want to dive all in on animations, you're probably going to end up working a lot in After Effects or Principle and uh, and going the design route. I'm sorry. What did you ask me again? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was it was it was basically that. Like, is it is it hopeless for me? I mean, if, if I no. is there is there a science for me to understand how to how to apply this? And it, it sounds like there it's is. not hopeless. So the answer the answer was no. <laughs> yes. Then the answer is no. It is not hopeless. But as in all things, if you can if you can uh, get the support, the ground support of some designers on your side and have mm-hmm. these conversations with them, you're going to make something even better than you could with your own two hands. But if you don't have that kind of ground support, if it's just you out there implementing a WordPress theme and a boss is like, make it razzle dazzle, you can be like, well, this chapter in this book says that razzle dazzle might actually harm our user experience. So all I've done is I've added some transitions to our different page states and uh, and and it's some supplemental animations to the drop downs and that should improve the user experience quite nicely. But I will not add Clippy to the page. Or lasers. <laughs> or lasers. <laughs> so you mentioned like somebody might might write like the ultimate book in like five years, but is, is this um the, the the things that you talk about in the book, do you think that they're mostly timeless or or is this like fashion where it changes? This is a timeless book. Uh, there is fashion that will change. Right now with mm-hmm. animation, everything is SVG and flat color design. Flat is still around because it's 
SVGs are super light. But as a person who comes from a, I used to be an award-winning cartoonist back in the day. So I hand drew my comics and I still really love doing hand-drawn designs. And I say one day, one day image formats will allow for proper bitmappy experiences to rise on the web again. And then we'll see like sketchy animations and sketchy art coming into fashion. And that's going to require different kinds of animation techniques. So yeah, animation has fashion. This book is not about fashion. This book is just about the the hardcore principles that will be eternal. And I'm sure we'll discover even more. There's a in the beginning we talk a lot about the science of how the human visual perception system works. And while that you might say, well science is eternal, Rachel, I actually expect us to learn even more about how people perceive the world around them visually, especially with all the research that's being funneled into VR right now. Yeah. A lot of that feeds back into how we can anticipate best practices for designing with user interfaces and two-dimensional surfaces as well. So this is this is the current everything. This is currently everything that we know. This is currently timeless, but I want to leave the door open not just for what will go in and out of, of trend and, and the different kinds of aesthetic appeals that people will come up with. Like Parallax is super popular right now. And Parallax is, I don't like Parallax, but, but it's popular with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Customers always right. And we might also learn more about the science behind how it works and things we may want to do more or less of. Mm-hmm. So jumping a little bit into the technology behind it. So what is kind of the state of the art web animation stuff that we should look into uh going on my dated experience like of 2010 we could be using jquery and css keyframes i mean i'm hoping we've evolved a little bit above keyframes well i got some good news and some bad news for you there partner (laughs) uh so the good news is we have evolved beyond jquery although jquery's animation functions are much more performant now they use request animation frame so if you're still using jquery make sure you update to the latest version especially if you're using the animations uh as it comes to animation css animations and transitions remain uh, one of the most performant ways if not the most performant way to animate on the web today And we haven't gone too far beyond them, except increasingly on more and more browsers. Uh, I think everybody but Edge and Safari, but Safari's got in their developer free view, you can access something called the Web Animations API, which opens up the browser's rendering engine to be manipulated with JavaScript. This has allowed developers to build uh, CSS animations and transitions tooling. So you can edit the CSS animations and transitions right there in the browser. It has allowed people to build uh, different animation libraries that run super fast. It's a very uh, CSS is very declarative. The API is imperative. But for those of you who want to do super dynamic animations that are like responding to physics and user input, there is something called GreenSock that's available. Uh, GreenSock used to be a tweening library written in ActionScript for Flash. Its developers saw the writing on the wall, rewrote the whole thing in ActionScript's sister language we know as JavaScript, and <laughs> and now it is a standalone library. It uses request animation frame. It's pretty performant. There are times when it's not very performant at all because, uh, well, the browser doesn't necessarily recognize that GreenSock is an animation uh, library and it is animating things. It just sees value changing on DOM elements. So there's some performance issues with that, but it's a good stopgap and it's uh, it's supported cross-browser very well. 
So if you're doing highly dynamic interactive animations, you know, like games and things, uh, Greensock is a really good option. Whoa. I'm out there playing with their demos. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> they have some pretty stunning demos. Yeah, these are good. really cool. Dispose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. How, how difficult is it to do animations with that, with that framework? Not too difficult. I call it the jQuery of animation, partly because it's got a lot of the telltale signs of jQuery. It normalizes SVG behaviors across browsers. It can be a little difficult to animate SVG objects with CSS uh, in line mm -hmm. because the SVG DOM is a little different from the regular DOM and it has attributes and those need to be mapped to CSS, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everyone's got a different transform origin on them. So... But Greensock comes in and is like, don't worry about that. Just tell me what you want me to animate. I'll make it good. All the way back to Internet Explorer, I think, 9 or something. And it totally polyfills for those SVG animations. It's uh, That is one of the major reasons why it is so popular right now. It's got a very easy to grasp, uh, well, I mean, syntax. I I always get myself for saying things like, it's so easy, because for somebody who's never picked up, you know, JavaScript, they might be like, this doesn't look right. easy at all. But I, so I know JavaScript, <laughs> and like, I'm looking at the code for, for some of these, and I mean, this is reasonable code. I mean, I'm, it's yeah. pretty concise. I'm, I'm saying... It's very jQuery, yeah. like, go out, get well, thing, even do things, do like, thing. Yeah, just like yo-yo, repeat, uh, yep. here's the delay. Um, yeah, it's... It's a little trickier managing state with Greensock. Um, for CSS, I feel like you get you get a bonus. You get on an knock-on for free. Here, manage state. Put a class on it. It's in that state. And you can use the cascade to resolve differences between animations. With, with Greensock, you have to do a little bit more to maintain that state between things. And like, what happens if something is canceled? What happens if you're on this page instead of that page? So that was one of my complaints when I tried to use it in a user interface. But there are many good tutorials on how to use Greensock with frameworks that you know and love, like Vue and and etc. But I feel like when you're using it for more UI animations instead of like really delightful full page flash like interactions, I feel like when you're doing that, you should really step it back and consider using CSS or web animation API animations because you get such a performance boost and you already have state being maintained for you. I like their uh, draggable examples. You can drag yes. and throw these things around and they sort of they just they just feel so good. <laughs> Speaking of draggable, I want to give a shout out to this new um, draggable JS. Okay. Uh, yeah, draggable JS. Shopify just released it. It's a little JavaScript drag and drop library, and they did this beautiful site that demonstrates all its powers. I'm just going to link to it right here in the show notes. Show notes, everybody. Uh, yep. Yeah, it it's 
uh, it's everything I always hoped for in a drag and drop library. Uh, doing animated drag and drop has been so difficult, especially like there's an HTML5 API for drag and drop, but it doesn't do any animations or anything. You just kind of like you drag something and you release your mouse and you kind of hope that it showed up there. This polyfills for that. It's wow, responsive. Cool. It's accessible. It's this is this is like open source at its best right here, solving tough problems with the thoughts of many. Yeah, this is cool. This is super fun. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm so happy you agree. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Man, that yeah, I just love how everything kind of pulses and like moves around. I mean, it just it's just it's super intuitive. Like this, it's, it's, it's one of these things where it's so obvious whenever you have the right usage of animation or right? <laughs> it just, it just feels so good at that point. Yeah. I mean, I always say that the downside of this is, this is of course for, for web it's, it's JavaScript. The downside of the web is that nothing is for free. Mm -hmm. If you want to have an interaction like this, there's no, you know, XAML, uh, there's no XAML drop in for this. There's no way to just copy pasta it. But some people out there are going to try to solve this problem and they're going to create a little library and that's going to be your, your instant access. Anybody can create anything that they need uh, if they put enough time and thought into it. And that's one of the things I love about the web. Yeah. It is so extensible and buildable. So this is great for, for like the public web, like for, for line of business applications that are internal, like, should I be, should I be doing this type of stuff internally as well? Um, I mean, is there, is there a chance that it can backfire and it's like, oh, this is too, this is too cute. I don't know. You know, you know what I mean? Like what, what is your kind of take on that for internal line of business applications? Are you talking about the overall look and feel of like you're, you're dragging stuff around and it's bouncing? Et well, cetera? yeah. I mean, just, um, you know, you mentioned fidelity before and it's kind of a good example, right? Like I, I feel like they want to convey this, like we are a serious bank and you can trust us. And, but um, also they want to be approachable with that bright green. Yeah, exactly. So, so imagine like fidelity, but like internal, I mean, they, I, they're like all of their employees are wearing suits, right? Like I'm just, I'm pictured like, are I they <laughs> I, probably, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Like, isn't that kind of like how I, that's how I picture them. I don't know. Like they're, they're all wearing suits and um, the, the, you know, that, that's just like, that's just the attitude, right? Cause they're probably like on wall street or something. I don't know. Um, so my point is, you know, Hello, shirts. You're, you're the, you're the developer in the, in the t-shirt and, and shorts. And, and like, you come up with this, this nice thing that, that actually is fun to use and has great animations. And, and are people going to be like, no, this isn't what I want. <laughs> this isn't utilitarian enough. Hmm. I would say, at, well, that is, that's where we get into the branding and the look and feel part of animations. And uh, one person who writes a lot about using animation and branding is Val Head. I, I recommend you check out her work. It's Val, V-A-L, Head, like your head. Uh, <laughs> she, she's written a lot about uh, branding and animation and is a good person to follow for that. Okay. Uh, that's a great example. This is where we get into the external facing ethos versus internal facing ethos what you want customers perceive versus what you want employees to perceive. And my question there would be, uh, this is, this is largely for people who set brand and tone internally. Like they, you know, marketing is all over branding guidelines externally, mm -hmm. but what, what, what is marketing doing for branding internally? Mm -hmm. 
here's where you have to ask yourself, what do you want your employees to take away? Do you want them to feel like this is a fun environment or do you want to enforce that, you know, we are a, a, a button down, straight nose kind of banking place? Or, or do you want to make them feel like they are slaves by giving them absolutely terrible interfaces that haven't been updated in 10 years? I've never worked at a company like that. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, you might for me, I might I might go with a more fun. Like I can only imagine that Facebook's internal tools are very fun and bouncy. Yeah, that was a good and point. and try to keep it young and fresh and bright and keep people motivated. And I'm sure that for a a a company that's a little bit more straight laced, maybe uh maybe like Google is probably based in their material design. They probably dog food their own design system internally. Yep. Uh, you know, so everything's got the same kind of interactions that you expect externally. Very bold to use both internal and external facing ethos at the same time. Yeah, it, you want to think about that internally and and how how that overall look and feel is going to discourage or encourage your users. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Is uh, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, to mention about animation or interface design? Any anything related? Do we cover it pretty well? Now you're asking me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. What's what's missing? What did what didn't we talk about that all of our listeners should know? Let's see. All right. How about this one? How do you know if you've done too much animation? Mm. How is how much is too much? <laughs> Remember I was talking earlier about how how you should always test things on real people. Yep. Not your mom, not your kids, not your friend or your coworker, but mm -hmm. like, you know, an actual customer mm -hmm. who has never seen this before or a random person on the street and just be like, "Hey, come over here. Can you look at this for a minute? I'll buy your coffee." Uh, true story. Uh <laughs> so if someone notices the animation, if someone's like, "Oh, that looked really cool." Or even also a true story. That's delightful. <laughs> Be worried yeah. because they noticed it. You remember earlier you're talking about how 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 you you hated feeling like there was extra time because of that add-on animation mm -hmm. from, you know, you slid that slid the slid it down, you touch it and it slides back up and it zooms in on iOS and and you didn't like that, you noticed it. You noticed the animation. Good animation you shouldn't notice. Because if you notice it, you're probably going to get sick of it eventually. You're going to get tired of it. And it will stop being delightful. It will start being a burden, something you're just waiting to get through. Like that loading screen on your Game Boy Advance, getting Pokemon Gold, and you're like, hurry up, Pikachu. I just want to play. I just need to start leveling, Pikachu. Get out of there. So, you know, you're just mashing that start button. Um, if people are noticing the animation, no matter how delightful it is on the first round, uh, you probably want to scale that back especially if it's a user interface interaction you don't want people to notice that if it's a single one-off loading page you probably want to shorten it up uh, if it's skippable you want to make it so that they can mash that start button and skip past it or uh if it's not skippable like that uber loading screen we talked about you want to you want to revisit those designs to make them less noticeable mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Splatoon, for the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on. Uh, Carl, what do you have for the Azure Pick of the Week? Uh, this week uh, is an IoT announcement. So the IoT Hub gets support for X509 certificates. And why this is important for people who don't care about 
uh, IoT stuff is normally like if you're manufacturing devices and you want them to just work when they get somewhere, you have to register a device with IoT Hub and you have to get these multiple different keys and you have to manage them. And when you make the device, you have to put them on the device and kind of just keep track of everything. Now with a certificate, you can just load that up into the IoT Hub, use the factory to sign the devices, and when the devices come online, they take care of the management, especially if you're using the device provisioning service. So this is something that uh, if you're in that area and you really kind of want to just make this kind of go a lot quicker and easier, uh, these certificates are now available to use at IoT Hub. Excellent. Use them. So cool. Yeah. Okay, Rachel, there's a game that we play. It needs you to pick a number between one and four inclusive and let me know what it is. Three. Okay, three. Let me find an unused three. <laughs> Holy cow. We might have to buy a new game, Jason. Yeah, I don't know. I think three is an awesome number. I think all the yeah, well, clearly everybody picks three. I th- oh, well I think then, I might be out of threes. I am out then of threes. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go for two then. <laughs> two. Okay. <clears throat> nice. Okay. Uh this is a game for kids. Uh keep that in mind. In a basketball game with you and four friends against a pro basketball team, would you rather be able to replace one of your teammates with Batman or with Spider-Man? Are you asking me? Yeah. Batman. Oh, wait. Did you want me to say why? Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm, just, I'm thinking just like you are. So I'm thinking Spider-Man just because he's like, I don't know. He, he's pretty nimble. Yeah. And he can he can like, you know, web the ball. And I mean, Batman, the, the question I have is, is he will he get disqualified for bringing gear into the, the match and i think he might who cares he's a billionaire we're going out for drinks afterward <laughs> yeah, that's a good point that's a good point Peter for one Parker. game do we get will he pay us what the nba players are paying <laughs> yeah yeah Peter well, i'm just Parker thinking like fun. if if you had to have someone on your team batman's probably going to stick around longer and you're going to learn more from him he's the world's greatest detective so there's so much more to learn from him okay. than spider-man yeah spider-man's going to help you win the game but batman's going to help you win the life so really i should shorten the question to batman or spider-man <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps i'm just saying you're limiting the scope of this question to just the court i'm thinking <laughs> about lifetime investments with relationships and other people no that's a good point i've been schooled okay what uh what do you pick carl you know, I just might have to just pick the next available one if we're running low. Okay, number one. <laughs> Would you rather eat one can of soft dog food or five cups of dry dog food? <laughs> and Rachel, I, I, I'd be glad I, you dark. didn't get that one. <laughs> that is dark. Yes. So this I, I have a lot about no Carl. idea what, what what's in either, but I, I, I would somehow, with no real reason, trust the dry dog food more. So I will go with the dry yeah, I, I agree. The wet, I don't know. I would just have a trouble keeping it down, I think. <laughs> Especially since I mean, we have a few cats and one of our cats is on wet cat food because she's getting old and can't eat the dry stuff. And that stuff's just disgusting. You open that up and 
Just oh. <laughs> MSW, the only show where we make our our guest gag. <laughs> I used to I used to eat cat food when I was a little kid. I used to be like, mmm, tasty cookies for cats. Yum yum yum. Yeah, uh, we I had think a big problem. With, yeah, this. we had a, we had a big problem with our kids and dog food. I think it was my first. He was the one. It's high in protein. He would just like he would get into it. And, oh, he would he just like would shove as much into his mouth as he could. Oh, anyway. Just bring it back to memories. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess a couple of things, Rachel. So one is where can people find you? Excellent question. I'm on Twitter as Rachel Neighbors. That's spelled N-A-B-O-R-S. My ancestors were very frugal with their vowels and consonants. Definitely would not have one wheel of fortune. Uh, so... Or would that be Jeopardy? Nope. Wheel of Fortune. That's it. The one where people buy letters and vowels. Yeah. Uh, you can find me at Rachel Neighbors on Twitter or rachelneighbors.com. If you are interested in learning more about animation, we got a great animation community over at slack.animationatwork.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter at webanimationweekly.com. Great insights into this ever-evolving field of animation delivered to your inbox every week. Mm-hmm. And if you thought this episode was at all good, uh, make sure you go out and buy the book. I thought it was great. Um, use the code MSDEVSHOW to get a discount on it. And we'll also have that at the beginning of the show. But we already had it because the listeners already heard it at the beginning. So I'm just mentioning it a second time. <laughs> I also want to extend that discount, mm-hmm. uh, 10% discount. If you want to learn CSS animations and transitions and you're thinking, I, I want to get in on that, I got a course on it over at courses.rachelneighbors.com and I will honor that coupon code there. Hope you'll come and, and learn with us. Very cool. Okay, Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So Rachel, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this. Such a cool topic. Carl, Jason, thank you for having me so much. 